Hi, y'all. Welcome back to the way we're Greggins. I'm Johnny. I can't with you. I'm Kelsey. I can't with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to give the deep accent because of today's topic, but <laughs> we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kelsey, how are things going? Oh, they're going. Got, got a lot of family stuff going on that I won't talk about. Um, my mom and my brother came back from their cruise, and my mom caught COVID. So, dealing with that. Um, yeah, preparing for my future sister-in-law's wedding. That's in three weeks? Two, three weeks? Not sure anymore. Um so yeah, I got, got all that going on. Started my new position at work so I could keep my hours so that we could keep doing this on the day that we do this. So yeah. Cool, cool, cool. How have you been? How's your um, move? Good, good. Just, you know, moving on with life, making adjustments, uh, waiting for to hear back for a uh, drug test and all that so I can start a new job. Yeah. Well, yeah. You've been, uh, have you been doing any reading? I know you've had a lot going on, but have we gotten any books? <laughs> Just one. Um, so I'm a huge Simone St. James fan. Um, she wrote The Sundown Motel and The Broken Girls. Um, Sundown Motel by far is the favorite of the three that she's written. Um, but she just came out with a new one called The Book of Cold Cases. Super creepy to listen to because I was listening to that while I was at work um, the past couple of days. But yeah, so it it kind of has two timelines, but it um, it jumps back and forth. But for those who don't know, Simone St. James is a huge um, murderino. Like in her um, dedication, she writes in the beginning, it says to all the murderinos, which is a shout out to the My Favorite Murder podcast. That's what their followers call themselves. Um, so Shay is a true crime writer. She's a blogger. She kind of goes into cold cases and stuff and she writes about them on her blog and during the day she works as like a receptionist type thing at a, like a doctor's office like a general practice type thing. Um, and in walks in this lady that she's actually done a um, huge article about because she was accused of murder of murdering her parents in the 70s and she kind of has like a weird like fangirl moment and like decides to follow her out of the office and stuff and she gets an interview and it through her interview the story unravels um but simone st james always puts like a paranormal twist to it so the lady that she's interviewing her house is extremely haunted and it's haunted by her half sister um i won't give spoilers away because it's actually a really good book um but yeah, there's always like a paranormal twist to it. The Sundown Motel, it was um, the serial killer would stop in and every time the serial killer stopped on like his way back home, the hotel would act up and it's because he murdered someone at the hotel. So yeah, there's always a paranormal twist to it, but she's phenomenal. I love the three books that she's written. 
But that's the only one I've read so far. That's all I got. <clears throat> gotcha. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> I was like, how many did you read? Did you read your nine? <laughs> so I've definitely <laughs> been reading. Uh, most of what I've been reading is actually part of our references for today. Uh, and I'm not going to give a full review on all of the books because there are a lot of them. I will yeah. say that each individual, one of them had very valuable information in it. Uh, part of the stuff here, and if anyone's interested in these sort of occult practices or anything like that, I highly suggest picking up any of these books. Also, I'll have a few other books that I'll recommend, or I get I kind of a few. It's multiple books anyways. Um, so uh, that being said, you know, so some of the stuff that I'll be talking about will be like family experiences and stuff because um, little snippet about myself. I grew up at the tail end of the foothills of the Appalachian. Uh, so, you know, Appalachia runs through my blood and runs through the blood of my family. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a... I'll get into this in a little bit more as we go, but some of this is like, hey, this is the thing I didn't know was, you know, a cult in any way, shape, or form until later on years. And, you know, especially looking into it while doing research, uh, some of the people in these books are like, yeah, we, we did this, this, and this, and these are the reasons. And I'm like, holy shit, my family did that. Mm-hmm. So that was, well, there's kinda- some things. There's some things that you realize are what you think is normal. And then you read it somewhere else that, oh, this isn't, this is this. Yeah. Uh, So I'm not going to go too much into uh, the spell work and stuff. Like, I don't know. So I don't know. So I don't know. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is, you know, and if, if you're just in this, like with anything, you know, it's great to learn from books. But if you have the opportunity to meet someone or reach out to someone who has knowledge in that sort of thing, uh, I would definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. There's well, you not, know, all, not all knowledge is in a book. Right. Well, there's that's some kinda... things that. Yeah, go ahead. There's just some things that get passed from person to person that just never get written down. Right, and that's that's some of the stuff that, because Appalachian folk magic is kind of dying out because of just the progression of things and how society and stuff is turned and why, you know, certain practices have kind of turned. Uh, so it's important to, and that's, that's why some of these people that wrote their, written their books is because, you know, wanting to make sure that the information stays out there, but also with the grow of the growing of the internet, and they actually say this in a couple of different books, with the growth of the internet, you have some of this information out there, but it's also boiled down and mixed with other stuff that's not inherently true. And mm-hmm. as we've said before, there's all sorts of false information out there. Yep. Um, Just because it's on the internet don't mean that it's true, folks. So jumping into the books themselves, um, the first book is The Beginner's uh, Witch Guide to Hoodoo and Folk Magic 
the, uh, mm -hmm. by Glenda Porter. The next one is Ho Hoodoo for Beginners by uh, Angeli Ballard. The, the one after that is Southern Folk Medicine by Phyllis D. Light. Uh, Root Branches and Spirits by Tiffany Morgan. Mountain Conjuring and Southern Root Work by Leon Nixon. New World Witchery by Raymond de Ocampo. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce that. Uh, Old Style Conjuring by Star Cassis and Backwoods Witchcraft by uh, Jake Richards. So okay. uh, those are those the, the ones that I've read all the way through. Uh, I did start another book, but it's, I have not completed it yet, so I did not, but, and it also is not a reference to anything here. So, but I'll, those are listed in the notes for the show, so you can post, post those. Yeah. Uh, so starting off on this, uh, I know that there is a debate on the proper pronunciation of Appalachian, <laughs> on whether it's Appalachian, <laughs> Appalachian. So, yes. coming from someone who, this was a, like part of my childhood, and this is part of my family, and all that, I will tell you that it is Appalachian. Mm -hmm. um, historically speaking, it is Appalachian. Yes. Uh, I mean, so the word, you know, the word comes from the people who actually lived there. Uh, there was a native tribe or, you know, indigenous pe tribe of indigenous people called the Appalachian. Uh, it, the Appalachian as for the mountain range was uh, put to paper first in 1754 by cartographer Emmanuel Bowen. Uh, so it is, you know, from a historical standpoint, it is Appalachia from the people who live there and have lived there and live around it. It is Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really is Appalachia? So Appalachia, or the Appalachian Mountain Range, uh, is a mountain range on the eastern side of the United States. Many people regard it as the oldest mountain range uh, in the world, dating back to the time of Pangaea. It, uh, it's roughly 480 million years old. Yep. It also has the largest diversity of wildlife or one of the largest diversities of wildlife in the world um so during the during the time of pangea the mountain range actually connected to other mountain ranges that we have in different parts of the world such as those in ireland the highlands of scotland scotland and a lot of the mountain ranges in the scandinavian countries 
Yeah. What? Yeah. So all that was all one big mountain range. That blows my mind. Yeah. That's um, crazy. So this ties heavily into the spirit of the land. Uh, culturally speaking, the people of Appalachia that settled there were freed slaves, uh, Scottish, Irish, indigenous people that were there, you know, obviously before, uh, which were mainly the Cherokee and the Appalachia people and Germans. Um, it's the fact that, or it's heavily believed that the Scottish and Irish settled there because of the similarities in terrain and because it's what they were already used to managing and working with uh, because it's the same mountain range. It's the same spirit of the land. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like if it, if it was all at one point connected, then that makes a lot of sense. Like, yep. Well, you know, once something's connected, there's a principle that states that once something is connected, it's constantly connected, you know? Yeah. So, I can see that making a lot of sense. Yeah, you're literally just moving from one part of the land to another. Um, so culture, the culture of Appalachia is literally a blend of all these different groups of people and their cultures that they brought over or that they had prior to um, a lot of the, like, a, a lot of the Appalachian folk culture comes from uh, freed slaves where they would take it and they would pick up things where, you know, they would use what they could to be able to make th- make ends meet. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the practices and uh, I'll get into that a little bit more here in a few minutes. Uh, the Appalachian mountain range itself, as far as the body that exists inside the United States uh, is 1,500 miles long or uh, 2,400 kilometers. And Mm -hmm. it's approximately at its peak uh, in elevation, 6,684 feet or 2,037 meters. Uh, so as I said, I grew up in Appalachia around the foothills and stuff. Uh, I have heard stories, old wives tells, and even practicing a few things that didn't really click that they were magical until later in life. Uh, one of these is actually one of the earliest acts of magic that I guess I ever performed. Um, I actually used to have warts on both my pinkies. Okay. And, uh, you know, my, it, I grew up in a, I'd say, less than financially stable household. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not exactly something that we could afford to just go and get taken off, especially back yeah. in the 90s. Um, so my mom had shared with me a thing that her grandmother told her. Uh, Uh, She said that her grandmother would tell people and told her that, you know, for a wart, you grab a flat river rock from a creek. And we had a creek in the woods behind my house. Uh, You would rub it on the wart three times, tie it into a piece of flannel, and leave it at the crossroads. 
the belief here is that uh, because of the law of transference, whoever would find this would get the warts and they'd go away from you. So I did this. I didn't understand at the time why or how, but it worked. Also, sorry for whoever ended up with those warts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but that sounds absolutely ludicrous. But it worked. And that's the great I thing. Know. I know. That's I did, what blows my mind. It's I like, didn't even realize this was ridiculous. a thing. Like, this is one of the things I had mentioned that, you know, I did growing up and, you know, practices and stuff that, you know, just like, oh, hey, go do this. And I did it. And after reading some of the books and stuff, so this is one of the things that was talked about in a couple different books. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> that's like, that sounds absolutely ludicrous. I'm sorry, but that that sounds absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so you know a little bit about Appalachian culture and stuff now and where it gets its foundations. Uh, if you want to know more about it, there's a book series called The Foxfire Books by Elliot uh, Wigginton. I guess that's how you pronounce their last name. Uh, that uh, goes into like culture and actually tells you like step by step of hey, this is what they did in Appalachia, and it'll give you like just basic folk practices. Uh, I have not been able to find a decently priced copy of the book series because. You know, they're not, I don't think they're in print anymore, but uh, mm. I haven't had time to delve too deep into that, but it is something I'm going to look into and read more of. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they go through the whole process of how to do everything, uh, setting up a homestead and all that fun stuff. Hmm. So that's interesting. Yep. Definitely recommend it if you can find them. Uh, I don't know if there's any out there that are, I'd say, because I don't know if it's in public domain or not. So there may or may mm. not be PDFs out there uh, of the books. Hmm. So, so what is Appalachian folk magic and all of its many names? So, if you'll notice, when I went through the books, I listed about seven or eight different things, hoodoo, root work, mm -hmm. uh, conjuring, and all that. So these are all different names um, of Appalachian folk magic. So in short, it's the power of the land. In long, it's a combination of uh, folk practices and beliefs from all the people who settled and lived in the hills. Uh, with Christianization of many of these cultures, uh, a good amount of a good amount of it has tied into biblical uh, things, because you know when you Christianize a culture, you take away certain aspects of their culture and insert Christianity into it. Uh, so a mm -hmm. lot of the practitioners will actually say Bible verses or do prayers. Uh, to the Christian God, to, mm -hmm. 
you know, they don't, while they're doing these works, they don't see it as spell work. Uh, they see it as gifts of the spirit or channeling yeah. the spirit itself. Um, so they don't believe in like a, you know, any sort of karmic rule of return, you know, pop, rule of three or anything like that. The people who practice it believe that, you know, they only do it if they feel they are in the right and that it is justified and that the power of God will uh, guide them to what is right and will make sure the right things are done. Yeah, they don't okay. believe in they don't believe in repercussions for the actions because they believe that you know it's it's done through them by God. Uh, more often than not, women are the ones that are uh, typically have what they call gift of the, gift of the sight. Um, men do mm -hmm. have it, but it's you see it more often in women. Uh, it's, of course, certain gifts around in families. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, as with many things, uh, nowadays these gifts are not nurtured and are just kind of cast away and, you know, viewed as childish and, you know, childlike practices and such. Uh, so from an energetic standpoint and looking at it from an as an occult practitioner, uh, I understand why and how all the their magical practices work mm -hmm. because it does work on with a lot of principles in a lot of different occult practices in general, occult, occult rules uh, and principles. That being said, individuals who do this do not consider themselves occult practitioners or witches. Uh, in fact, many of them believe that they are part of their task is to help fight temptations of the devil. And that which is, uh, you know, it goes into the whole thing of which is making deals with the devil. Uh, what? Yeah. So that being said, I'm sorry, the reality here is that, you know, these hills were alive with harmful spirits, or spirits, harmful, helpful, and indifferent, long before the Christian gods set foot on this land. Um, all that being said, the term devil is generally used in Appalachia for anything that is harmful, menacing, or just a plain nuisance or annoying. Um, if Have you ever heard the term speak of the devil? Mm -hmm. That actually comes from Appalachia. I think I said that at some point today. Yeah, that actually comes from Appalachia. Uh, mm. And, you know, you'll have, like, kids misbehaving and stuff, and, you know, they'll say, you know, child's got the devil in him because they're not literally saying that he's possessed or that she's possessed. They're saying that, you know, they're acting a fool, misbehaving. Hmm. Nah. Interesting. Hmm. Do -do -do -do. Let's see, where am I at here? Sorry, I, I'm down to one screen, so I have to use my phone for my notes. 
uh, the Cherokee people. So the Cherokee people actually had myths of uh, little people that align with a lot of the European folk myths of the Fae. And this is actually that's something that's really interesting to me. Um, so like, you know, not taking their food, not drinking water from them and stuff like that, which was, I thought, really interesting considering just the vast cultural gap between like European folk practices and native folk practices. And they had stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, Laura does an episode on Tommy knockers mm-hmm. and he talks about the differences of how they're almost the same, but there's a twist that comes with them when they come over the ocean that they're so similar. All these little people, creatures all over the world. But like the fairies and the fae over there are very similar to here. But here they get like a weird harmful twist. It's a really good episode. But he talks about the same thing. Well, the the they're not exactly like, well, the fae in general aren't like there's unseelie and seelie fae. Um, those that are harmful and those that are helpful. But generally, fae are just fae. They're chaotic forces of nature yeah. or chaotic beings. Um, but uh, there's actually a really good urban fantasy series by Alex Bledsoe that centers around the mysterious uh, Tufa people in Cloud Candy t- Cloud. County, Tennessee, which is located <laughs> in the Appalachia. I was like, that, watching you get that out was funny. It's okay. uh, yeah, so, you know, that's a really good series. Definitely check it out. Uh, but, and that's about like the Fae and, uh, but living in the Appalachia. Uh, mm-hmm. You also have stories of like ghosts, moon eyed people which are like the Cherokee thought hearts would say that they were the people that were in the mountains before they came here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the Wampus cat. Wampus cat. Okay. It's like a, for any of our listeners who are D and D fans at all, it's like a displacer beast without the tentacles, but Basically, it's a uh, six-legged black cat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so okay. cute. Very. Um, it has six legs. How is that cute? How is it not cute? What, you have a... six legs. You have a quota on how many legs something can have before it's considered not cute? If it has too many, it's a little weird. I think it's perfectly natural for it. <laughs> Uh, there, there's also a ton of superstitions about like sweeping someone's feet, uh, stepping over a grave, uh, and if anyone gives you a knife as a gift, you shouldn't take it. If you do, you should give them whatever change you have in your pocket to pay for it. Um, hmm. So to kind of step through these is uh, so this, the sweeping of the feet, whether you're sweeping over, sweeping under, and depending on the family, uh, you could be causing them to have some sort of legal troubles coming up. You could actually sweep away 
are there any potential mates that they might have? So you could be preventing them from getting married or yeah. Um, okay. It just, it's blowing my mind just a little bit. Just <laughs> all right. Uh, so of course, stepping over a grave, you're disturbing the dead or disrupting the mm -hmm. dead. You also shouldn't point at graves. All right. So, uh, so give, so giving someone a knife is, and then not like paying you for it, uh, it can be symbolic of cutting ties with someone okay. and can cause ties to be cut. So if you like give someone a knife and, you know, Appalachian thought and everything, you should, you know, they should give you at least a penny for it. So that the ties aren't cut? Yes, yeah, so the ties are not cut. Okay, okay, got yeah. it. Uh, you're also not supposed to close a knife that someone else has opened because it'll it it brings bad luck and yeah okay appalachia is not known as a wealthy place and is made up of tight-knit communities mm -hmm. uh, so when they would when you would have something valuable that's found on someone's land like gold mineral or minerals and coal mines Corporations would come in by part of, if not the whole town. Yep. Uh, they would then employ the people uh, to work through the mines and everything else so they could get their rights uh, until they would suck the place dry. And then once they did, they would literally just pull everything out and abandon it and the whole town would collapse yep. because they would come in and you know set up the infrastructure and then take the infrastructure away and they would literally own everything even like the local stores yep they owned everything uh so all these folk practices were kind of needed as far as because i mean you had the doctor when the corporation came in but once they left or before they got there you didn't have a doctor in town you didn't have someone to take care of stuff in town yeah so you know you have um so you had people that would uh you know, had folk practices and beliefs of saying, hey, if we did this, this will happen. If we do this, this will happen, like in any culture. Uh, but you would have people that would help with, like, death rights or birthing a child. Um, you know, it, you couldn't, you know, travel three days for a doctor. So you would have mm -hmm. someone there, someone on the farm that could take it, take care of it. Uh, some of these farms were set up to where, you know, and this was, a lot of this was back before, you know, we had cars and stuff, so you'd have horse and buggies, and you'd have, you know, your nearest neighbor could be 10 miles away. Yep. And, I mean, or the town could be 10 miles from where you're at, so you'd have to, you know, take someone into town, and, you know, you, you couldn't exactly just, you know, put a Band-Aid on something, or, you know, so say if, like, you sliced your leg open while you were out you know plowing the field or something uh you know you couldn't just take it and oh i'm gonna put a band-aid on it and go see the doctor when you could bleed out before you get there so they would have stuff they'd have people that you know and you might even have a doctor in your town you might have a doctor two towns over 
And yep. there's no, there's no way in hell you're going to make that. I mean, you're talking a couple day trip, you could bleed out by then. Yep. Uh, you know, childbirth, as we all know, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes childbirths can take up to 19 hours or longer, but they don't always. And if there's a complication, you know, there's a high risk of losing both the mother and the child because of the time period. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, in the infrastructure that was in place. Yep. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these group workers or conjurers, uh, you know, they had honorary titles where they were like, you know, doctor this or you know, uh, doctor that. And, you know, they weren't actually doctors. They didn't have any sort of medical degree. Mm-hmm. That's just what the town referred to them as. Uh, you know, it's, yep. They did what was needed. Uh, a big part yes. of the, a big part of the practice is honoring ancestors or ancestor work. Uh, of course, you see this all across the world in different cultures. But mm-hmm. this isn't just ancestors as far as like ancestors of, you know, like your blood. This is, you know, ancestors of the land. This is honoring those who came before you. And, you know, there's there's a whole thought behind it uh, where, you know, because a lot of it came from African culture and a lot of it came from freed slaves and stuff uh, on whether, you know, non black people can practice it and whether non-native people can practice some of the native stuff and it's it goes back to the thing of what we said plenty of times as long as you're being respectful you're honoring the proper people uh you're well educated on why you're doing it and what you're doing it then there's no issue with it yeah you know that's you know then that that's the big thing is that you know, if you're working with your ancestors, you got to be careful because, you know, sometimes your ancestors weren't great. Sometimes they wouldn't be happy with what you're doing. So you would want to make sure you're working with the right ancestors, uh, you know, leaving offerings to them, of course. Uh, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people, because, you know, whiskey and moonshine and all that's big in the Appalachian. Uh, leaving whiskey, leaving a shot of whiskey for your ancestors on the ancestor altar. A lot of people have like, you know, curio cabinets and uh, stuff mm-hmm. like that where they'll take it and they'll set up, you know, uh, pictures of people who are deceased and all of that. And they'll leave an offering. Sometimes it's a little thing of food. Uh, sometimes it's, like I said, whiskey. Uh, mm-hmm. Typically, you want to always keep a glass of water, like fresh glass of water on the altar for hmm. any of the thirsty spirits. Okay. You're giving me a weird look. I'm not 100% sure on what it's meant by thirsty spirits. I yeah. found it in multiple places. Okay. Um, unfortunately, in my family... There are not any members of the family that I'm aware of that actively practice most of this stuff that would actually have the knowledge uh, to explain why. And that's kind of like the, you know, a big thing is because, you know, the older generations, you know, 
aren't going to be here much longer if they're even still here. And yep. so over time, a lot of that stuff has died out and it's, uh, no. Yeah. There's a, there's a story and I'm trying to think of what the item was, but, uh, I don't remember the exact, like what the item is in the story, but so, uh, this little girl's helping her mom do something. She's like, well, mom, why did we do this? And she's like, well, I don't know. That's how your grandma always did it. Let me ask her. And she's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I don't know. That's why my mom always did it. Let's uh, let me ask her. And so she goes like the great grandma and she starts laughing. She's like, yeah, we did that as a kid because, you know, this was during the Great Depression and, you know, we were scarce. So we, you know, the thing we had was scarce. So we did this and it just kind of becomes a culture of, you know, this is why we do stuff. Uh, You would also have like, you know, canning and stuff that they would do to, you know, they would put pray while they're doing the canning or putting like, you know, saying certain Psalms and stuff while they're doing the canning uh, hmm. that, you know, just kind of helps preserve it in their mind and gives a little bit of extra healing energy. And because typically when you're eating canned foods it's during the winter months and so you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to get by, uh, Appalachia itself is fairly interesting because you know, it has eight seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that, what I mean is that there are micro seasons within the seasons. Like, you know, you've got spring, summer, fall, and winter, but you've also got like, you've got blackberry winter, which is a uh, a winter spell after the blackberry bushes bloom. You've got, uh, we always used to call it the Easter spell, but it's like a two week period after Easter that it would turn cold again. Uh, yeah, so it's... Yep. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Appalachia, especially, there's some, like, really strange weather patterns, and part of it's because of, like, the weather getting caught by the mountains and, mm-hmm. you know, like, the storm clouds and stuff, and, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Uh so some of the practices, some of the other things that were done, uh, divination was done, of course, using tarot cards, but also using playing cards. Uh, okay. Fu- fun fact, my great-grandmother would not allow playing cards in her house because of this reason. Yep. What? She would not allow a set of playing cards in her house. Just in case if they were... Use this tarot? Uh, well, yeah, just in case they were used as any form of divination. Not even like Uno? No. What? Um, she also had a thing where if it was storming, mm-hmm. like there's a thunderstorm outside, mm-hmm. you know what you did? What? Absolutely nothing. You sat down, you sat completely still, and did not touch anything. Yep. What? Yeah. What? Why? <laughs> that I'm not really sure. Uh, but they would also use bones and stones to cast to get readings. Uh, the probably biggest, and I've actually seen this, like 
as I've given us like as an or was given us as an answer, you know, growing up Southern Baptist in the Appalachian, uh, when you have a question there, uh, you know, in church, they're always like, well, just open the Bible and, you know, God will point you to the verse that'll give you your answer. But it, yeah, using it as a form of divination and, you know, they don't what? see it as a form of divination. But yeah, it's using the Bible. It's called bibliomancy and it's using the Bible for divination. Um, so making protection jars and wards uh, for like your house and stuff, you would take it and put certain things in the uh, projection or protection jars and bury it around your land to keep any harmful entities out. Uh, you know, uh, treatments for or impotency or causing someone to be impotent. Um, a big thing I found was that a lot of these practitioners, even though they were doing it for God and like mm -hmm. the Christian God and in the name of the Christian God, uh, they would take it and they would do both helpful and harmful acts. But the way they saw it is that it wasn't black magic because it was done for God in the, in the eyes of God. And so they were doing God's work. Excuse me. Yeah, no. So I, yeah, well, that goes back to like the not believing any sort of uh, like karmatic retribution and all. Um, so it's always kind of interesting to me because you know you have that in, like all sorts of culture uh, where you know they just they take it and they justify what they're doing as not being evil. I mean, it's you know I not the knock on Christians, uh, but that's a fairly prominent thing in a lot of like Christian history is oh it's okay that we're doing this because we're doing it for God you know they, they don't believe that is it in like darker light magic because you know one they don't consider it magic two because it's not dark because we're doing it for Jesus that literally makes no sense I, no, I, I agree um, like your actions have consequences. But yeah, so they would like, you know, they would do magic or they do do magic on people against without their permission. Because uh, the idea is, is if that if it's unjust, then it won't work. Or if they know how to protect themselves, then it's won't be a problem. Uh, what? So they also did like spells for ensuring that lovers don't stray with like both male and female lovers. Uh, okay. So they would basically make it to do spell work, or do root work rather, um, and conjuring work to make it to where the guy was not able to get aroused if it was not with a, if it wasn't with a specific woman uh, okay yeah. yeah so there's also like certain spells that they would do so like 
you know, because even though it was similar things that were being done, they did not like witches, even though technically what they're doing is, in a sense, witchcraft, even though they mm-hmm. don't see it that way. Um, and it's because it's all, is it because it's for God? Yes, because um, they believe that witches have made pacts with the devil. It goes back to that whole belief. Okay. Um, they would take it and do stuff to like bind witches and stuff. There, such. There's actually a story of a woman who was believed to be a witch, and she came by a farm and uh, made a comment about a pig that was on the farm. And then later the pig started acting funny. So they took a, like cut off a sliver of the piece of the pig and started frying it. And the woman showed up at the house and like asked for something and then like left. And they came back a few minutes later and asked for it. And all this whole time they're got like the heat on they're frying this piece of pork. And then she comes back the third time and she's like, can you please take that damn thing off the stove? Because, you know, it like she like showed part of her back and part of her back was burning because like they were burning the pig skin and there was like a whole belief and connection there. Uh that like the witch hexed the pig. Uh yeah, there's All right. Yeah. There's a whole story there's another story, and this is actually from one of the books as well. Uh, where uh, this guy went out hunting and saw a turkey. I, I think I want to say it was a white turkey because they believe that white animals and black animals are both tied to witchcraft. Um, and this kind of ties into like some stuff from Celtic mythology and some stuff from native folklore. Uh, but the guy went out hunting for a turkey and kept trying to shoot this one turkey and couldn't shoot it. So we went had some silver bullets made because he was sure that it was a witch. And because, you know, silver hurts witches, apparently, even though most witches wear silver. Uh, he has moon energy and such and alignment with the feminine divine energy. <laughs> but they would take it and they made a bullet of silver and he shot the turkey uh, in the leg, supposedly, and then there was a woman who, you know, was bedridden for a while and then walked with a limp after that, and they started referring to her as the turkey witch because they believed that she was the turkey. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they thought that it was, they think that part, part of their purpose is to, you know, fight the devil and all of his minions. But I mean, okay. there, there's there's value in some of the practices. There's there's value, in my opinion, with everything, with every bit of knowledge. There's some of the stuff that's a little biased based off of personal prejudice, and you know, either in taught or self-imposed prejudices. Yes. Uh. So of course yes. they did a lot of. 
these workers did a lot of midwifery. What? Midwifery. So midwives. <laughs> what do you think I was saying? Something with a McFlurry. <laughs> yes. Yes. They made a lot of McFlurries in the appetizer. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Uh, Of course, animal rearing. They typically were better uh, dealing with animals. Uh, There's a belief that they could communicate with the animal. Uh, So they did like some of the veterinary work and such, helping with birthing of cattle. The midwives? Oh, so it's the same same people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can birth a baby, you can birth a cow. What the? F- I don't. I don't. <laughs> what? That literally makes no sense. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, it makes perfect sense. Like, <laughs> um, that makes no sense. Okay, but like that—that that makes no sense. <laughs> but yeah, so these people were, you know, they were okay, revered by their community and always the ones that went to people went to for help um typically there was a figure that was like the big mama or you know grandma of the community um a lot of times it was actually a black woman uh this is actually where uh, aunt jemima is partially inspired by Mm -hmm. Uh, but she was the typically the member of the community that wouldn't take smack from anyone and everyone would listen to uh, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so... That, uh, that one does. Culturally speaking, uh, like I said, it's a big hodgepodge. Uh, the... Uh, to me, there's a... I was, of course, a little bit annoyed with the anti-witch thing, but, you know, as a someone who grew up here, that's... Like, I've known people to get fired for their religious beliefs, so not really surprising. No. Uh, no, I've seen people assaulted and chastised for their religious beliefs, so, again, not surprising. No. It's not shocking, it's just confusing. Because what you're doing is... Is no, yeah, it is. It's crafted. And it's just you're by like, another. No! <laughs> it's, it's like, but it is. <laughs> it's just by another name, and I mean, you know, we can we can push back and forth on that as much as we want, but there's there's good knowledge there. There's you know good things to learn, good practices. Uh, I said the the interesting thing about Appalachia is the just the blending of cultures and it becoming a thing on its own. And, you know, I think that tying that into what we have now uh, happening with a lot of occult practices, it kind of is kind of mirrored in that, but, you know, hopefully it's not done to the point of where everything is lost from what, it once was and that the cultural significance actually stays intact for yeah. everything. Yeah. 
when you're going to have that as in, as an older generation dies out, you see that a lot now with a lot of Native American cultures is a lot of their elders are, are dying. Yeah. And because of what we did as a nation to these people, their culture is not surviving. Well, I think it was the, was it the fifties or sixties? I think it was the sixties um, where the U S government went through and like took all these native children Mm -hmm. indigenous children from their families and stuck them with Mm -hmm. like white families to say, here, Mm -hmm. you're, you're raising this child now. Um, And it's, you know, you literally robbed people of their culture. Uh, So I think it's important for us to hold on to our culture, regardless of, you know, let's say regardless of what it is, but hold on to it for the purpose of, preserving it and to learning from it but you know not holding on to the prejudice that exists within those cultures because of course you know you had massive prejudice within the cultures uh you know i think most of the appalachia sided with the confederacy during the american civil war Mm -hmm. and of course there's the whole issue with slavery and stuff uh oh yeah I mean, that's still a thing that's going on to this day. Yep. It's not something that is going to be fixed in a couple years. This is going to be a long fight. I don't think people realize how long of a fight. So I agree with you in part. I think if proper things were done it wouldn't be as long of a fight but i also think that it's been too damn long of a fight as is this is true so but that is what i have yeah so interesting yeah it's an interesting interesting weirdness yeah i i definitely recommend picking up and reading any of those books to any of our listeners who are interested uh and as always, you know, find your own path. Some things work for some people. Some things don't for others. Yeah. Uh, don't be a dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just don't be a butthole. Just because you got one don't mean you got to be one. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. So for all of our listeners, don't forget to like, yeah. subscribe, and all Tell that. Tell a friend stuff tell a friend tell your mama tell everybody yeah because um <laughs> um i do post pictures along with the episode um i do type up all of the books and stuff that johnny recommends you will see those in the show notes in the description of the episode it's kind of way down there towards the bottom um but i do type up all that stuff that he does tell me too so because it doesn't make it onto the facebook or like the instagram post but it does make it into the show notes but yeah we're back on our normal schedule now that you've moved half across the country um uh, can you do me a favor hmm. can you cut that little section out from like this part and the earlier part because i would like for people to not like certain people to not know that i moved across the country okay yeah who who doesn't know I'd, I would just prefer 
certain people to not know. Are they crazy? Yes. Okay, you got. That's why I would prefer for them to not know. <laughs> you got it. Thanks. I'll have to go through the beginning and figure out where I said that. Yeah. Yeah. We're back in our normal schedule. Yeah. So we will, I guess, keep on keeping on. Yeah. Next episode, I am doing. Um, did you make a decision? I did because I I see your point with what you said before we just um, recorded this. I I see your comment. I see you because of all the problems I'm having with my family regarding my grandma. Um, and I think we talked about this in another episode. I think we do. Mm-hmm. We have talked about it. Um, but we are going to talk about Victorian death rituals and the weirdness that that was. Holy cow. Um, those who not know, a lot of our, um, modern European Western culture, um, death rituals, they, a lot of them stem from the Victorian age, um, they changed a lot of things of how we mourn our, our dead. Um, like death jewelry. Um, those photos, those weird photos that you don't always see the wires in. Um, infant photos. A lot of infant photos are of deceased infants. Um, but yeah, they, they changed how we mourn. So I, I see your comment that you said of like, you should probably do this. I see you. Mm-hmm. And I, you're right. Because <laughs> I, I got some problems with it. But I, I see why they did what they did, but it doesn't sit right with me. But well, to quote something someone once said to me, I guess paraphrase since I'm referring to myself, <laughs> since I'm referring to myself instead of them referring to me. Anyways, I was, yeah. So to quote something mm-hmm. someone once said to me, you're always right, even when I hate to admit it. Yeah. Yeah. My, <laughs> my like, problem I'm not, is, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that you're not wrong. It's just with all the family <laughs> stuff I got going on, it, it, the issues with my grandma is worse because of the issues going on with my family. Yeah. Um, so it makes the whole thing that my grandpa did weird um in my aunts and i expressed my concern because they thought it's like the coolest thing since sliced bread and i'm like that's really fucking weird um what happens to my grandma when she passes like i better pray she's gonna end up in an antique mall she's gonna be pissed um but yeah we'll get to the origins of kind of all that um the pictures and stuff that kind of started and like embalming you start saying embalming in the Victorian era. So, Which yeah, is, we'll go into all that. It might be a two-parter. Might be a two-parter. So we'll see. I'm pretty sure embalming is like really bad for the environment, but it is. Yeah. It is. It is. And you see it kind of be first displayed like on a huge scale during the Civil War. 
um, because they embalmed soldiers to get them home. Um, but photography starts coming around in the Civil War, so that's how we have all those gruesome photos and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, embalming starts. It is actually bad for the environment. Um, so, side note, I learned this. There's a, there's a YouTube channel called Ask a Mortician. She's a wonderful lady. She's, yep. She's an amazing person. I might read her books for this. I'm not sure, but she does have two. But she made a quote one time of, if you can smell death at a mausoleum, their draining system isn't right because you should not be able to smell anything. Fluids do come out. Fluids do come out, but you should not smell them. So, she has an amazing YouTube channel. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we're going to next week. Because we got had a next. rough couple of three weeks. You get what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough three weeks. Holy guacamole. Turning 30, family drama, and you moving. Got a wedding. Not mine. So, yeah. I was 30 once. Yeah, that's right. I forget that you're older than me sometimes. I forget that there's like a three, four year gap between me and you. Yeah. I forget that sometimes. Two. Is there a two? It's only two of you. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, only two. I was like, I always wanted to say it was three. Like, what year is this? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that, that is the only way I can remember. Mm -hmm. you know, look, I entered my 30s during this, like, right before the pandemic started. So. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like, shit. It's 2022 and I'm 30. Oh, God. Yeah, some people look forward to their 30s. Some people don't. Um, you know, the, apparently the 30, 30s are the new 20s, so. I understand that us adults have no idea what we're doing. I get it. None of us know what we're doing. But I don't, I don't want to be in my 20s and act like a fucking fool. My God. I, mean, I can't I even make it till 10 p.m. Are you kidding me? Well, maybe for you, your 30s is the new 50s. Mm, maybe. I already got the cat thing down. Yeah. I got the cat thing down. He hasn't been in this episode. I think it's because I'm, I'm in the dining room. Probably. I don't know. Mine is asleep, but, as per usual, because she likes to run amok at two in the morning and <laughs> be extremely rude and talkative while people are trying to sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, until next time, I'm Johnny. Yeah. I'm Kelsey. Bye. Bye.